Welcome to Season 2 of Connect to Capital, a podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I am Samar Michaela, co-CEO at Scale Investors, and I will be your host for the second half of this season. I want to take this opportunity to thank Catherine Robson, the former chair of Scale Investors, for hosting the podcast and for her unwavering support and advocacy. Our vision at Scale Investors is a world where gender does not limit access to capital, and we're on a mission to maximise returns by investing into Australia's best women-led startups. We know the transformational power of collaboration, and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education, and deep network to enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors. We believe that knowledge is power, and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We are thrilled to play our part in providing entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au to learn more. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a minute. Tracy Clark is an active angel investor and investment professional with over 25 years experience in investment management, financial services, accounting and business strategy. After early roles in accounting and investment banking, she founded and successfully exited two financial services companies. She's heavily involved in her hometown of Perth's startup community and has a passion for supporting innovation and mentoring future entrepreneurs. In addition to investment, Tracy brings invaluable tools for financial discipline, but she's all about delivering benefit to entrepreneurs, not creating bureaucracy. At Scale, we could not be more delighted that Tracy will be an inaugural member of the Scaling Women's Fund Investment Committee. Hi, Tracy. How are you going? Hi, Catherine. Really good, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. I was just saying to you before we started recording, I'm coming to lovely Perth tomorrow. So it's great that we've got someone from the west side of Australia that's able to you know, help us make sure we've got a national view when we're talking about venture investing. Yeah, absolutely. It can be a little lonely over here. <laughs> Tell us a bit about your background because it's a really great diverse career that you've had. Yeah, mine's probably a little bit different than most. And I mean, to go right back, I mean, I was born in Perth, but spent mainly my teenage years in New Zealand growing up. So that was 10 years in a tiny little town in New Zealand. Funny enough, I learned about share investing from my auntie over there. They were farmers and farmers tend to have, you know, interests in dairy farms and co-ops and things like that. So I remember watching her looking at the, you know, newspaper one day going through these numbers and I thought, what is this all about? And she sat down and, and showed me, you know, how shares work. And I just thought, wow, I need to get into that. So that kind of gave me that initial interest. And I thought, as soon as I can, I'm going to get into, you know, the share market. And yeah, so when I moved to Australia, when I was uh, about 18, I'd also, well, when I was at uni and I saved up a bit of money, I also invested in property, I had a family friend who was a financial advisor. And I said, I've got this tiny sum of money, what can I do with it? So he helped me get into my first investment, which was great. And I think really I've always been interested in investing, property, shares, all of that. And it's kind of been the thing, to me, it's my main my main interest. And my career has kind of run alongside of that. And, you know, another way of helping me fund my interests in, <laughs> you know, accumulating more shares and, and that sort of thing. So, but my real career started, I was an accountant. 
for about six years. Then I moved over to Macquarie Bank into investment banking. And then I went out on my own for 15 years as a financial advisor, building my own business and looking after clients. And I guess it was really, you know, during that time where I also really noticed that women in particular really struggled with different aspects of building wealth because they had so many areas that impacted them going forward, right? So it was like you either took time out of your career to have children, you either, you know, are looking after sick parents, just so many disruptions and the lack of networks and financial education. So I guess that's what really got me to develop that interest in in also helping women with their investments. And so I'm interested in, you know, obviously you had this really early interest in investing in other people's business or businesses, you know, via equity investments. What gave you the confidence to, you know, leave the big brand name of a Macquarie and go and build your own business and rather than just being investor, an investor in other people's entrepreneurialism to, to actually do that yourself? I think for me, it was a bit of a frustration with the system. I didn't feel like I really fitted into that big corporate environment. I didn't always feel like it was set up for client success. I was really about how can I help people to further their education and to actually understand what they're investing in and how it's going to make a difference for them rather than just sort of saying, well, invest your money in this and selling products and and things like that. It just didn't align with me. So, But I never really doubted that I could do it. I always just felt that I could, if I set up a business, I was going to do okay. So I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't really have that doubt. So yeah, it's kind of nice. Did you sell that business ultimately? Yeah, I did. So I sold that business seven years ago now. And since then, I've been on a number of boards and doing a lot in the startup space. So I was um, on the committee for the Perth Angels here, involved in scale investors, and yeah, did a, a lot in the startup space. A lot of accelerators and just looking at deal flow, mentoring founders, and supporting obviously the the companies that I'd invested in. And what made you interested in venture? Because there's lots of people who invest for their whole lifetime in public markets and never stray into you know early stage companies. What was it about um, the startup space that that really attracted you? I love, even with my own business, I love starting things and I love that hustle and I like the challenge of getting something new going. As soon as it starts to get a little bit, oh yeah, I can do this now, I kind of lose a bit of interest. So it's probably not a great trait, but I think it's also investing in other people's idea and just being around that, you know, that initial hustle and just that excitement of, can we actually make this work, you know, and investing in other people's just great ideas. You know, I just like supporting, supporting that. So I had a friend about 25 years ago who had a a business idea and I had backed him into that. Ultimately, it listed. There was a lot of ups and downs with that one. Uh, that, That could be a whole new podcast. And I certainly learned a lot of lessons, but it actually did well. So it's still a listed company today. So that was kind of my first real foray into early stage investing. I also tended to be around a lot of brokers and people who would say to me, look, this is a bit you know, early for us, are you interested in having a look? So for whatever reason, I just seem to be around that kind of those businesses. And even with share trading, I was always looking at businesses that were more in the small cap space. So the ones that didn't have a lot of research, the ones that I could sort of dive in myself. And I always found that there was usually a lot of risk, yes, but, you know, tended to be a bit more upside as well. So it just suited my investment personality, I guess. And there's a bit of a trope that, you know, women are 
conservative when it comes to being investors and don't like taking risk. You obviously buck that trend, as you say, because you're happy to take some potential for extraordinary upside with with a bit more risk. Do you think that trope about, you know, women and risk is real or is it a bit of a furphy? I think there is an element of truth in that. Even myself, even though I do invest in these sectors, I always make sure that I have a portion of my portfolio that is in the more boring stuff right? So it's not, I'm not 100% invested in this sector by any means. So I think women often have the financial security of their families in mind, how they're going to pay the mortgage, all of those sorts of things. And and that's not a bad thing. But for me, once you have that kind of looked after, you know, my super fund doesn't get touched. It's (laughs) invested, you know, and pretty conservatively in, in all the usual things. So yeah, that sort of allows me to sort of have the confidence that, okay, this is the money that I can play with. And also there's other ways of reducing your risk in this sector too, by making sure you do sort of smaller investments in a number of ventures rather than just one or two bets. So, but yeah, I think there is a little bit of truth to that, but there's ways to mitigate it. We also talk about venture being hyper-local, but it's much more than listed markets where there's available information. It's much more about who you know and who you trust. How much has living in Perth shaped the sort of companies that you've invested in? Yeah, I've tried pretty hard actually to, and Scale Investors has really helped with this as well. I think you do need to look outside your state. I don't think it matters where you are. I think it pays to sort of look look around and try and get some good deal flow from across Australia. But from Perth, obviously being embedded in a number of accelerator funds and or accelerator programs, programs I should say, has really, obviously there'll be companies that you'll get attracted to because you get to have a lot more face-to-face time with them and you get to know who they are and you get to understand the business. And I think it's important to have face-to-face time with the businesses that you do invest in. And obviously it's easier if they're in town. So, And what are the sorts of companies that you like to invest in? What are you looking for in early stage companies that make you feel confident to make an investment? For me, the sectors that I particularly like are fintech, insurance tech, I've got a few in there. I've got a few in battery technology, marketplaces. So it's fairly broad. It used to be I was just a fintech investor, but (laughs) now that I've had more confidence and understand the other sectors a lot more, I've become quite broad. I look for scalable ventures, ones that have a, a defensible moat. The one thing that I really look for is some market fit, some customer traction. We do see a lot of companies that come to us and they've been working even for years on these products, but they've never really gone out to the marketplace to go, actually, will somebody really pay me for this? So that's a big, big thing for me. And the team, of course, I think everybody talks about the team, but the main thing I'm looking for in a team is that, yes, they've got all their sort of skill sets covered, but that they can actually execute on the strategy and be flexible and resilient to all the problems that are going to come up because there will be plenty. And so that customer traction bit, which I really agree with, does that sort of then dictate how early you'll go? So, you know, that, that you've got to build something before you can get a customer to pay you anything really. So how do you think about stage? Look, I have invested pre-revenue, but again, it is around what is the proof? What is the market surveys? How have you gone about 
being out there to really show that this is something that's needed out there and, yeah, that um, customers are going to pay for it. MedTech's probably one of the main examples of that where you have can often have some great technology and, yes, it's going to be useful and, and you know, help a lot of people. So, yeah, there's quite often quite a bit of proof and evidence often that that's going to be something that will develop into a product somebody needs. So, Can you share any companies that you've invested in that that sort of demonstrate the things that you're looking for that make them attractive? One of the companies at the moment, The Vault, so that is a sort of a peer-to-peer clothing rental business. They would have to be the most resilient team I've ever come across. COVID could have potentially wiped them out given that they wore functions and opportunities to wear a nice dress shut down. But they all went back and they cut their expenses and they worked on their platform and did all the right things during the downtime. And then so when everything came back, they were in just the best position. So, you know, just having that resilience. Also, I guess with the product too, I think they're catching a a really good trend of that sustainability piece at the moment, as well as the Instagram wave of having to have a new dress every time (laughs) you get a photo. So yeah, there's a lot about that business that ticks a lot of boxes for me. Any others or any that you've missed out on that you've wished with the benefit of hindsight that you had have been either in a position to write a check or had have said yes to instead of saying no? I don't tend to have too many regrets about what I've missed out on. Funnily enough, there was one a few years ago, a company called Glow Dry that has a great product out there in the market. And when I saw her a number of years ago, she was looking for investors. But when I sat down with her to do her budget, I said to her, I don't think you need investors. You can actually self-fund this. So I kind of talked myself (laughs) out of an investment position. (laughs) But we're re-engaging again a number of years later because she's done some amazing things and it actually, I think, is in the position now where she'll need investments. So that one I'm quite excited about that I get the opportunity to, to come back and look at that again. So that's a good one. So that sort of speaks to values. And I think we often say to entrepreneurs, oh, you should only take investment from people who you feel like you've got aligned values with. If someone was asking you, you know, Tracy, what are your values when it comes to this? What are the sort of things that you would highlight? I think one of my values is to do no harm. So there's probably sectors that I wouldn't be looking to invest in. They don't have to change the world. It can be something that's for fun, but just not harmful, I think. In terms of like building a team and building a company, I think some of those values of respect collaboration, commitment, I think they're really important attributes for building a strong team. And also it goes both ways too, even with investors, um, having that respect and that ability to collaborate and benefit off each other's skills and knowledge, I think are really important. You talked before about obviously you've made investments over the years since you sold your business, but you've also spent quite a bit of time sort of mentoring and coaching founders. What is it that you bring to companies that really helps them achieve whatever their goals are? I think probably the main thing is the financial side of it. So helping with cash flows, budgets, but also identifying those sort of core KPIs that they differ every business, but what are those core KPIs that you need to have an eye on to show that you're actually moving forward and that you're sort of building the success that you want to? Because I'm quite, I think you need to have an idea of those sort of financial metrics. I also do a lot of strategy work. So I'm sort of more at that advisory and board level working on 
strategy and how we're going to scale the business and those sorts of things. And how receptive have you found entrepreneurs over time? Are they on a sort of a spectrum of of some who are super engaged and want to implement what you're talking about and some that are a more resistant mindset? How do you find your engagement levels on some of those things that might be less familiar in terms of those financial acumen piece? Look, I never insert myself where I'm not needed to. So if I can't add value, then kind of have no place being there. But I think, yeah, there has to be sort of a mutual agreement that this is helpful. I think if you can show them the benefit of those financial metrics and how making improvements in one piece affects revenue in a certain way, and I think once you can help people understand how it works, it quite often, especially with budgets, a lot of people just sort of shut down and go, oh, I can't do this. So outsourcing that is fine too, but you do have to understand what the numbers are telling you. And I think, to be honest, if I haven't had much resistance with that. So, but otherwise, I think it's a pretty clear sign that they're probably not a good match for me anyway. And in terms of becoming a better investor in the venture space, I mean, it feels like there's never the ability to sort of master venture investing. It feels like there's always more to learn and more situations that are slightly different from things you've done before to trip you up. What are your tips for becoming an increasingly proficient venture investor? Yeah, I think joining a network is really important. I mean, especially when I was in Perth, I was really just doing it on my own. And I think I did become a much better investor when I joined uh, Angel Group, when I joined Scale in particular. You can utilise the skills of other of other investors and their knowledge about different sectors. And you can learn and become a lot more comfortable investing in, you know, a whole different range and you get better diversification. I think also doing maybe smaller checks and investing in a larger range, you get to learn a lot more. You just get more experience in different companies. So I think that's really important. Just being out there, going into incubators, working in being in those sectors, seeing all the ideas that are out there are really helpful. I also think it's really important to have your own due diligence checklist that's pretty tight. You can use one that the angel groups are using, but I think to have have your own that's kind of tailored to you. I, I always have a couple of, of the more sort of emotional or psychological factors down there. Am I investing in this because I just really like the founder and I want them to do well? So there's a lot of those sorts of things that you've also got to check yourself and just make sure you're not just following the crowd, that you've actually really thought about this. And yeah. So at Scale, we're super excited that we're leveraging off some of your experience and your joining the uh, investment committee for the New Scaling Women's Fund. You know, talking to some of those themes around diversification, smaller checks maybe across a a larger number of companies and then also that capacity to sort of filter out your own personal biases. Can you talk a bit about why you were attracted to being involved in the investment committee? The more women investors that we can encourage, that's kind of one of the main keys to having more women funded. So, anything to do with helping women invest more, supporting more female founders, I'm just 100% for. I think it's also exciting to leverage what Scale has already done in that education space too. I think that the more that we can network, the more that we can just get our name out there, make it more accessible for women to invest. I think it's, yeah, it's only a great thing just to help. I mean, we've all heard the numbers. I don't think we need to go over them again. (laughs) But yeah, it's just really being able to support more female founders. I think it's just a great opportunity. 
Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I love the way you've not spent time talking about the numbers because sometimes it can be dispiriting, focusing on the problem. And what I really like is that you're focused on the solution. So it's not only, it's almost like a two-sided marketplace. It's not just trying to get more money into the hands of good female entrepreneurs, but it's also building the confidence of female investors. And I'm really excited that the Scaling Women's Fund allows a bigger pool of investors who might be less familiar with venture to sort of learn from your successes and maybe some of the mistakes of the past. Is there anything that people might be surprised to find out about you? (laughs) Surprised to find out about me. I am a terrible introvert. I love reading. <laughs> I'm into sci-fi and Marvel movies. I think that's me really. I just uh, I love to hide behind my books and my spreadsheets. And that also speaks to why having a sort of collective investing approach makes so much sense because it's so beneficial to get the benefit of the people who are happy to do all the sort of detailed analysis that I know you like to do coupled with people who are really because I don't know how you find it but you could be going to a startup event every day and morning noon and night and if you're an introverted person it can get a bit tiring so it's good to have people doing different parts of the job to make sure you're getting really good deal flow and then doing the right sort of analysis so have you found that you've sort of gravitated towards other you know types of investors that sort of complement your skills I have quite a few investor mates over here that are in the medical space, which is fantastic. So generally, I think in other skill sets, but also male and female investors who who also look to, to support female founders, I think is great. So generally, I look for other investors who have different areas of interest that are in different professions that can sort of add some value when we're all doing DD together. I find that really good. And in terms of the best advice you've ever received, whether it's to be, you know, around investing or or other things, what's the sort of advice you would pass on to others that you've received over time? Just one that really sticks in my mind. One of my old bosses, when I was an accountant, he always said to me, because at the time there was a lot of hot tips and things flying around the office. And he would say to me, just remember only 5% of these tips ever come through. And so quite often I decided not to participate in something and I'd be feeling a bit of FOMO because there'd be all this excitement in the office. But then a week later, it was all deadly silent when everyone had lost. (laughs) So, you know, then I got to sort of good, I saved myself some trouble there. So, and it's quite often the things you don't invest in that end up being, I think, your biggest wins sometimes. So the other thing is, is about being, approaching each investment like it's the only one you can do. I think it was Buffett and Mungo talk about this quite a bit in that they say if you've got a lot of cash in your pocket, you can be out there and a little bit looser with your DD sometimes. So you've always got to think about, and it's the same when you go shopping, right? Like, you know, if you've only got 50 bucks, you're a lot more calculated about what you buy. So I think it's that having that mindset that this is this is the only investment I can do. So I've got to really look into it and get it right. So avoiding that sort of spray and pray mentality where it's just like, you know, I've got a budget, I'll just, you know, allocate it all. In terms of, you said you love reading and you consume lots of things. Any books that, that you would recommend? There's one book that I really did enjoy. It's, it's a recent one. I mean, I read lots. So, you know, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. I found that really quite fascinating. And 
he quotes that the the right way to talk to strangers is with caution and humility. And it really analyzes the interaction between two people where the interaction has gone really wrong and re-examines our relationship with trust and truth and how the people we don't know as well as we might have hoped. So discusses people like Bernie Madoff and how someone like him can build trust in people and why we are so trusting. And it's quite interesting. I just love to dive into those, particularly those charismatic people who can bring a lot of people along with them, especially when there isn't a lot of substance behind it and why that's the case. And the reason why is because you don't want to get caught up in that too. So it's a, it's good to understand the reasons how they can get away with it. And presumably it's quite relevant for startup investing to the extent that as you say, sometimes you can be so captivated by the individual that you can skip over some of the business fundamentals. So, you know, having that lens of needing to have respect for the founder because they're the one that needs to have the personal resilience to drive the business, but then also really being aware that you can be misled by the cult of personality. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I come back to, you know, your due diligence process is really sort of, well, have I actually dived into this enough? Have I really checked the numbers? Have I gone through and spoken to people who who work with them and employees and all of those sorts of things so that you aren't just going, oh, I really like this person. They've got the drive and it's exciting. And what, what about podcasts? Anything that you would recommend? Look, I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasts, but the one that I did that I quite enjoyed, again, is on a very similar theme. It was We Crashed, which was the story of WeWork. So again, it's that same sort of theme that I quite enjoyed listening to. Yeah. And that was very interesting. So you wear many hats. In addition, as I say, you're on a number of boards, you're involved in numerous investing circles. How do you stay productive? Any hacks that really help you achieve a lot? Yeah, it gets hard. And I think I'm not the only person that's got multiple email addresses and things that they have to juggle. I try to condense my productivity. I try not to just pick up my phone every time it dings. I try to have certain times of the day where I sit down and just go through them all and and get stuck into that. But I think my productivity hack is probably a non-productivity hack where I think that having time out, like I do not disturb on during the night. And I also make sure that I have holidays and I really turn off because I find during those time frames I get my better ideas and some of my biggest life choices have been <laughs> made, the biggest decisions have been made during those times. So I, I really value that turn off time. But yeah, when I am productive, I try to you know, have it in certain time frames. It doesn't always work, mind you, but we try. In terms of thinking about entrepreneurs who are wanting to raise capital, especially at the moment, it's a difficult environment. What advice would you give? Make sure you really need it. I even t- quite often talk founders out of getting funding. So make sure you really need it. Make sure you've explored all the options, grants, revenue-based funding, all of those sorts of things. Make sure you do as much due diligence on your investors as they're doing on you because it actually really does make a difference. You can't have that mindset, I just need the money because that can come back and bite you. You need to make sure that those investors are aligned with you. Listen to this feedback people are giving you because Quite often I see founders a year later and everyone's been giving them the same feedback, but they're just not quite 
getting it and improving. And so the same reason why we didn't invest in them last time is still there a year later. And it, it, that's hard. I, I, I find that, <laughs> that conversation difficult. So yeah, listen to what they're telling you. You don't have to pick up everything and agree with everything, but just, yeah, if you're getting told that same message a few times, you, you might want to consider it. <laughs> and last thing, what are you really positive and optimistic about? I really think there is a momentum that's building with growing the female investor base and the enthusiasm for investing in in female founders. And I think we're starting to get to that point where hopefully there'll be a critical mass at some stage and we'll get those numbers looking a lot better. I have a lot of women who sort of say to me that they are really interested in investing in startups, but they're worried about the amount of money they'd have to put in or they don't know where to start. And I think there's a lot more avenues now for them to invest and at smaller amounts and join more groups. And I think, yeah, I think we're starting to get there, but I think it's going to take a little bit of work. It feels like a bit of a long journey, but I don't know about you. I'm quite enjoying, I'm enjoying the journey so far. Yeah. And there's so many ancillary benefits getting to know other people who come from totally different backgrounds. You know, often when you are in a particular profession, you meet lots and lots of people that come from similar backgrounds to you. So being a sort of an investor across a mission-driven investment thesis, meet people that are aligned in their outlook of the world, but bring all sorts of different perspectives. So yeah, I have loved getting to know you over the journey and so excited that you're um, going to be part of the investment committee. So thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, no, very excited. And thanks, Catherine. Appreciate it. We hoped you loved today's conversation as much as we did. As an investment venture firm founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like we do. We believe that education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both investors and founders. You can find them on our website. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize this significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing us at ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a minute.